0: So if you've been with us for the past couple months, you know that our church has been going through a lot of different transitions. Uh, Just to name a couple, we have a new Sunday schedule. We have a new location for our Sunday services. We have um, some changes in our staff role and and position. We have new small groups that are starting um, this week or actually the following week, and then we have a special, not special, but you know, I think Saturday morning prayer is always special. So we have this special Saturday morning prayer. And on top of this, we've been navigating through all the different changes and the challenges that COVID-19 has thrown our way. And so it's been a crazy ride, a crazy journey to say the least. So a lot of you might be wondering what's next. All right, so far, you've been looking forward to this transition, coming into the morning, this new space and this new season. So the question is, what's next? What's the plan? Where do we go, go from here? Where are we directing ourselves to as a church? Um, and that's the question that I want to answer um, this morning. Well, actually, if you would ask that question to me, uh, I'll probably respond, uh, I have no idea where we're going, really. I, I have no idea where we're heading. I don't know what It's going to happen next, um, tomorrow, uh, next month, uh, next year. I I have no idea. I just don't know. That's my honest answer. And I think it's okay that I don't know and that we don't know uh, everything that we need to do as a church because this church, it does not belong to me. It does not belong to you. It belongs to Jesus. And as far as I know, Jesus, he has a plan for his church and he has a purpose for his church. And so as long as we know that, then we're in good shape. We might not know everything and what's going to happen next, but we know that this church belongs to Jesus and he's the one who builds this church. Amen? That's Matthew 16. So today I want to look at Acts 16. I just want to walk through this long kind of passage. We just read a couple verses where we're going to look at the whole chapter really. And I want to answer this question. How does Christ lead and build his church? How does Christ lead and build his church? That's the question that we're trying to answer this morning. So in Acts chapter 16, we see that Paul, he is on his second missionary journey. Paul, we know that he used to be a persecutor of the church. He hated Christians. He, he was passionate about destroying the church. That was his ultimate goal. He loved God. He honored God as a devoted Jew. And so what he was trying to do is he thought, uh, well, Christians, they're, they're a cult, they're, they're, they're this weird religion that claims that Jesus, this guy is, was dead, but now alive. So everything about their message, everything about their life, he didn't like. So he was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy the church. But we see in Acts chapter 9, Paul, he has this powerful encounter with Jesus, this personal, powerful encounter that turned his life upside down. And now Paul, he is realizing that, that he is a sinner in need of Savior. Before, he thought he was pretty good, he was righteous, that he was a good person. But when he encountered Jesus, he realized, oh man, I'm nowhere near that that I need a Savior. Before, he thought Jesus was a liar or a leader of the cult, but now he's realizing that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of all. The gospel transformed Paul dramatically to the point that before he was trying to stop the spread of the gospel, now he is actively spreading the good news of Jesus. And after visiting a couple uh, cities during his first missionary journey, now he's on his second missionary journey wanting to plant new churches. But first he kind of goes to this area in Galatia where he's revisiting some of the cities that he did on his first missionary trip so that he can encourage the Christians there. He can instruct them there. And now he really has a heart for Asia. And when I say Asia, I'm not talking about the continent Asia. I'm talking about Asia minor, which is modern day kind of, um, Um, Western Turkey. And so he he notices that there's this massive religion on the West where he's trying to go because there are no churches. But something interesting happens in today's text. In verse six, if you have your Bibles open, it says, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So Paul, he had a heart to go to Asia because there were no churches uh, in, in that region. But the Holy Spirit forbid Paul and Silas to go to Asia. And so Paul's like, okay, fine. If I can't go west, then at least I'll go north. I'll travel, travel somewhere else because the gospel needs to be spread. But then you look at the next verse and it says again, when Paul is trying to travel to these different places, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go north. So if you look at a map the only place that they can go is overseas. Like they're at the edge of of, 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 of Asia and, and they are at this port city called Troaz, you know, the Holy Spirit is forbidding. Uh, Paul to enter into the mainland of Asia and also the Holy Spirit is blocking Paul to go north and, and really he's stuck there. He has no idea what's next. I mean he has a passion for the gospel. He has this desire to spread the good news of Jesus Christ but we see that he's kind of stuck in this one place not because of persecution not because of opposition because the Holy Spirit is blocking the work um, there And but we see in verse 9 it says this, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night and a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia, which is Greece, right? And help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here's the first point I want us to see in today's text. God leads us in unexpected ways. God leads in unexpected ways. Now, why in the world did the Holy Spirit kind of block Paul from going to these regions where there was a real need for the gospel, where there were no churches. We do not know, but this is what we know for sure. Paul, he was so in tune with the Spirit of God. He was so aligned with the Word of God that what happened was that the time when the Holy Spirit spoke to him, immediately Paul responded. If the Holy Spirit said no, Paul's like, okay, that's no. If the Holy Spirit said, go to Macedonia, he's like, okay, I'll go to Macedonia. So you see this immediate response. And you have to understand, Paul was a pretty smart guy like he was an educated dude. Like he, he graduated from like the under, the, he studied under the best kind of Jewish teacher. It's like kind of graduating one of, from Ivy League or having that diploma. And, and not only that, he had a lot of life experience. He was in this leadership position, so he can make decisions for himself. But you see this guy, and after he met Jesus, he's like, okay, I ain't moving until God, you direct me. Like, Doesn't match my expectations, doesn't match my experience, it doesn't match my knowledge, but God, if you say go, I will go. If you say stop, I will stop. And we see that on a daily basis, the Holy Spirit, he is leading and guiding Paul, and Paul is simply responding. It's not just a one-time event, but this is happening on a daily basis. God leads People in unexpected ways. And so Paul, he he, instead of going to Asia, he goes to this place called Macedonia, to the city called Philippi. And if you know anything about about Paul's missionary journey, the first thing that he does, anytime he goes to a new city, he goes to the Jewish synagogue because he wants to share the gospel to his own people, to the Jews. Now the problem is in this city, Philippi, there was no Jewish synagogue because it it was a pagan city. It was a wealthy city that worshiped many gods. Uh, There were a lot of Greeks there, but it was ruled by the Roman Empire. So instead of finding a Jewish synagogue, what Paul did was he found a a woman's prayer meeting uh, on the outside of the city. No, he couldn't find any Christians within the city, so he kind of looked around, he asked around, and he finally found a group that is dedicated, a group of Jewish women <clears throat> that are dedicated to prayer, that are dedicated to studying the Old Testament. So Paul, he decides to show up, he begins to share the gospel, and something crazy happens in verse 14. It says, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia. So the first woman that he encounters, the first woman that responds to the gospel is Lydia, from the city of Thyatira. That's a city in Asia. So this is an Asian lady, a seller of purple goods. And we talked about this before. The the color purple was very rare in the ancient world. No, you had to take, make this dye out of snails, and so it was really expensive. It was this royal color that only rich people could get a hands on. So the fact that she's a seller of purple goods, it's like she's a CEO of Prada. Or, or Gucci, that's like, that's what's going on here, she is a powerful lady, and she is a worshiper of God, meaning not only is she rich, but she is religious, she is moral, she is pretty good, she has a good reputation, you no, know, she is very spiritual as well, and she is kind of in this group, prayer group with a group of ladies, so in a simple sentence, she is this crazy, rich, religious, Asian lady, that, that's that who she is, she's crazy rich, and religious, and she happens to be Asian, uh, and, 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 and I love what happens next. It says, in, it, it says in verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And just think about this. This woman has nothing to fear. She's running her own business. She probably has connections all over Europe, She's selling merch to kings and the royal family, and yet when Paul shows up, explains the gospel, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Now, we have no idea what happened in detail, but one thing that we know for sure is this. When the Spirit of God was telling Paul, wait, don't go there, don't go to Asia, don't go to to Galatia or those northern regions, just wait. And afterwards, shows a vision, and, and, and Paul ends up coming to Philippi. While Paul is kind of waiting and waiting for direction and guidance, as much as Paul was waiting, the Lord was working in the life of Lydia. The Lord was preparing Lydia's heart, and we see that the moment that Paul met Lydia and shared the gospel something clicked. It's not because Paul was elegant in his speech. It's not because he had incredible knowledge and he was this articulated person. It simply says the Lord opened her heart and all of a sudden she comes to faith and she becomes the first Christian in Europe. God leads in un- unexpected ways, but the second thing that we have to see is God, he saves unexpected people. God saves Unexpected people, even this rich CEO, realizes that she needs Jesus as her Lord and Savior. The first believer in Philippi was this lady named Lydia, um, and God prepared her heart to hear the gospel, and she received it. and And even though you might think, you know, she's morally good, spiritually enlightened, you see the need that there is the the need for the gospel. There is a need to preach the gospel to even these people who are pretty content about their life, who think they have everything in life. There's still a need for the gospel, but then there's another person that Paul meets that is on the opposite spectrum of Lydia. If Lydia is here, the next person is way down here. It's a slave girl, a Greek slave girl. Look at verse 16. It says this, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of division and divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So here we have this slave girl. Lydia has all the power in the world. The slave girl has no power whatsoever. She can't even decide anything for her own life. Lydia has all the money in the world. The slave girl is making money for other people. She's being used, mistreated, abused. Lydia, she is religious and moral. This slave girl is is literally demon possessed. Those two are on the opposite spectrum, whether it's social class, economic class, lifestyle, everything is different about these two ladies. And we see in verse 17, she followed Paul and the rest of the crew crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. So whatever it was. This demon-possessed girl. There's something that's broken in her heart, and she realizes that these men are different. That these men are serving the Lord Most High, and she's repeating time and time again that these are the servants of of God. That they're, they're proclaiming the news of salvation. And and Paul, I love this about the Bible. Paul, he gets so annoyed. So it is possible for a godly man to be spiritually annoyed. So this this man is. Greatly annoyed, the Bible says, turned and speaks to the spirit. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and the spirits. It came out that very hour. And you have the second member of the Philippian church. So first, it was a crazy rich Asian lady. Second, you have this super poor, abused, slave Greek girl. Both lived completely different lives both saved by one gospel, both serving one Lord and one Savior. God saves unexpected people, but it gets even better now because of this, because you know, the slave girl is not the same. Her life is completely different and changed. The masters were not happy about that. The owners were like, man, now she doesn't have the ability to tell fortunes. Now we can't make money off of, off of this girl, and so they <laughs> accuse Paul and company to the point where just look from verse nineteen to twenty four. In verse nineteen, it says that they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace. Verse verse um, in verse twenty two. It says the crowd joined in attacking them. Verse twenty three. It says that when they had inflicted many blows upon them, it says in verse twenty four, having received this order, he put them into inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So. A lot is going on. So Paul and company, they are seized. They are attacked. They are inflicted. Many blows. They are thrown into prison. They are fastened in their seats. They are shackled in a way. And the only reason why they are experiencing this persecution is because they they obeyed the Holy Spirit and they shared the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so the next time when someone says the most safest place on earth is in the will of God, you say, "Uh -uh. uh-uh. No, it's not. You know, so many people take suffering lightly and, and they say the safest place on earth is, is in the middle of being in the will of God. Now, is that the best place to be? Absolutely. Is that the right place to be? Absolutely. Is that the safest place to be? No, you look at the life of the disciples and it wasn't safe at all. There was danger after danger, persecution after persecution, but what's crazy is It says in verse 25, despite experiencing all that suffering and persecution, Paul and Silas, they were praying, they were singing hymns to God. And so you kind of notice that there is something powerful when you rejoice in the midst of suffering when you display that something is different about your life, when you are able to say, God is still good, when I'm going through these terrible things in life, there is something powerful because when they were doing that, the prisoners were listening to them. And it says in verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So the Lord, God, is pretty good at breaking chains. He is pretty good at releasing prisoners. It's not now here, it, it was in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, right? He breaks every chain, the chain of sin, the chain of death. He releases us from the penalty of sin and death. And so all the signs are pointing to the fact that, okay, you no, know, there's an earthquake, prison is open, uh, the, the, the bonds are unfastened. All the signs are pointing to the fact that, okay, Paul, Silas, get out, run away. It's time for you to leave, but do they leave? No, they don't. Right before they are about to leave, they stop and they look at this guy, this this jailer, who's most likely a Roman soldier, a retired Roman soldier, because uh, the jailer position was a pretty solid position. So, you know, in order to honor uh, the soldiers, like, and to, so that they can have a kind of uh, a, a, some security after their retirement, they put people in this position. This this guy is devastated because he 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 let these prisoners go. Everyone is gone, gone basically. And so it says in verse 17, he's about to kill himself. He's pulling out a sword. And he's like, okay, I'm done. Like, I mean, if people know about this, like they're going to kill me anyways, why not just take my life in my own terms? That's, that's what's going on. And Paul cries out in verse 28 with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself for we are all here verse 29, the jailer called for light and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's a pretty good question. Verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So memory number three, jailer, Roman guy. And this tells us that there is salvation even for men, right? So far it was just for women. Now we see that even for men who are so stubborn, who are fixed in their own ways, even for people who are old in age, there is salvation. You see these testimonies, the example after example that's displayed in chapter 16, and there's only one conclusion that you arrive to, and it's the fact that the gospel is powerful enough to save anyone, no one, no one is out outside the reach of the gospel. God, he saves unexpected people. But what's beautiful at the end of, of this chapter in verse 40, it says this. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. So they go back to the first convert, Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So notice that they have seen the brothers. So they are believers by the time they're leaving the city. So who are these brothers most likely, the jailer is probably there. His family was probably there, like the slave girl probably ushering people into their house home. Like you have a combination of people who it's it's quite a scene. Like you know you have this rich rich Asian lady there. You have this Greek slave who who's young, and you have this. Old Roman soldier who's well accomplished yet, yet probably you know just serving uh, tremendously. So not only does God save unexpected people, but God he gathers unexpected people together. God he gathers unexpected people together. So how did this all happen? I think the reason why Luke made it very clear from the very beginning that the Holy Spirit was the one who led Paul here, that it was the Lord God who opened the heart of Lydia. It was the Lord God who gave Paul the power to to bring out demons and and evil spirits. It was the Lord God who who basically allowed the jailbreak. (laughs) The message that Luke is trying to say is, this is nothing about Paul. This has everything to do with God. A lot of times we get blown away by how faithful and how courageous uh, Paul is. But Luke is making it very, very clear. The reason why you see people of different race, social class, different age, different gender, the reason why you see unlikely people, unexpected people gathered together is not because Paul was this great missionary. He was giving credit for that, but it's more because God is a great missionary and he is a great God. The reason you have a church in the middle of Philippi, in a pagan city that worshiped other gods, the only reason there's a church there now is because of the power of the gospel and the lordship of Jesus Christ. Christ, So Christ, he's building his church. He's advancing his kingdom. And I love what it says in Philippians chapter 1. Now, this remember, this was a letter that Paul writes later on to the Philippian church as he is in prison in Rome. And this is what he says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 to 6. I thank my God every time I remember you, man, it was quite a journey, right? In all my prayers for all of you, for Lydia, for the slave girl, for for the, the jailer, and all the all the rest. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day. Christ Jesus. Even Paul says, the one who began a good work in you was not me, it was God. And if he began a good work in you, he's going to carry this on to completion. So God leads people in unexpected ways. God saves people who are unexpected. Unexpected people are saved by the gospel, and God gathers unexpected people together. So how do we respond to this simple truth? How do we respond in obedience into the in light of all the truth that we have just said. Are you following your voice, your plans, your ideas today, or are you making an effort intentionally on a daily basis to follow the Holy Spirit, to follow his guidance, to read God's word and to receive direction? The only reason Why Paul ended up in Philippi was because of the leading of the Holy Spirit. And it shows us that our life, God, he leads us in unexpected ways, but it's okay. It's okay if we don't understand everything. It's okay if we don't have the full picture. God, he has a plan, and as long as we are obeying the Spirit in line with God's word, we're going to be okay. So trust in him. In what area of your life are you relying on your own experience or your knowledge rather than the leading of the Holy Spirit? Number two, here's how we can respond to this text. Are you relying on the power of God and His sovereign preparation when you share the gospel? Are you relying on the power of God and His sovereign preparation when you share the gospel? No, um, I remember when I was a, a new Christian, I started sharing the gospel, and one of the first people that I shared the gospel with, it was, it was a good friend of mine. And it was so easy, right? I started going to church. I was more invested in church, and, and you know, I had a relationship with Jesus, and I just asked one of my friends, hey, do you want to go to church? And he's like, yeah, sure. And, and he ended up coming to church, and, he, and, and it was that easy, right? I, I simply asked, do you want to go to church? And, and he became a Christian. Like, you know, I brought him to church, he heard the gospel, and he became a Christian. And so I was thinking to myself, I'm pretty good at this. Right, easy peasy, right? Little did I know (laughs) that 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 is a very very rare case. You know, at that moment I thought, man, I'm I'm pretty good at this job. You know, evangelism, it's it's my thing, and and God humbled me, and then I realized though down the road that it's not that I'm really good at this, but God is really good at preparing people's hearts. That. It, that I simply led a fire. The one who, who who prepared all all everything in that person's life was, was God Himself. So, you see that in the life of Lydia. You see that in the life of the slave girl. You see in the jailer's heart as well. Something happened spiritually before Paul even came to Philippi. And if that is true, that gives you confidence to share the gospel, because that means that. No matter how bad you are when you share the gospel, if God has prepared that person's heart, that that person is going to hear the gospel and respond to Jesus. That also means that you got to pray like crazy, and I got to pray like crazy. Because without the help of the Holy Spirit, without the sovereign preparation of God, you can give the best presentation of the gospel, and people will still not come to Jesus. And that's why we gather on Saturdays. Like I shared this uh, on Saturday with, um, with the group that was here. You know, a lot of people asked, no, why are we continuing to pray? <laughs> right? I thought uh, Church Matters was done. You know, I, I mean, that was a good run. We had five weeks where we came out early, and it was very encouraging. It was very helpful. And, 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 and to be honest, I was like, I was looking forward to the end day too. Like I'm preaching three sermons a week and I'm like, oh, this is a lot. And then, you know, God kind of convicted, convicted my heart. You know, I was, we were thinking different options. Should we gather every other week? Should we gather once a week, uh, once a month? You know, how should we kind of still encourage people to pray, but at the same time, make sure that people are still fresh and engaged every prayer meeting. And, and what, what God basically told me, like, you know, as I was praying was this, you know, even if someone, no one shows up. Would you still pray? Like, do you believe in the power of prayer? Like, are you gathering people so that you can say, I have this many number of people in my church who are praying in the morning? Or are we really gathering because we want to see God move in power? Are we really gathering and praying because we want to, we believe that the things that God calls us to do is beyond our ability. And we need every ounce of God's grace. To accomplish that. So I'm not saying, I'm not guilt tripping you if you don't show up on Saturdays. What I'm trying to say is we should make an effort, whether it's Saturday morning, we're just opening up that space. Anyone who needs a space, maybe you're struggling to to pray on your own. We just want to create an environment where you can simply hear the Word of God. I promise I'm going to shrink my preaching, and that happened on Saturday. I preached for 10 minutes. The rest is yours. You get as much time you want to pray, Uh, but if not, you can also find a day during the week or maybe make an A time during the day when you're consciously praying because you know that if you want to lead someone to Christ, it's not just by your your words or your experience. It's through the power of God's word and through the sovereign preparation of the Holy Spirit. That's how people come to know Jesus. And the last thing that I want to mention is this. How do we respond to this text in light of all that we've said? Are you embracing the beauty of the church where different people from different backgrounds can come together with one purpose and that is to glorify God. To enjoy God and to exalt God together. Is that something that you're seeing or are you kind of complaining, struggling, saying, saying that, oh man, I don't want to be with these people. They're so different from me. I don't find anyone who can carry up a conversation. Different life stage, different background. This church is too young, too old, inexperienced, too hardcore, too easygoing. Like whatever you're Thoughts might be about this church. One thing is true: um, we don't have everything together. But one thing that we're gonna do, and we're gonna make a commitment to this, that we're gonna welcome unexpected people, and we want to create an environment where unexpected people can hear the gospel and be saved and be part of this church. Because how awesome would it be when someone walks into this room and they see a group of people and they're like, "What is going on here?" Right? Like people who never gather in private you never have a party like this, you know, people from different race, from different, you have people in different gender, people, different backgrounds, all gathered, serving one another, loving one another. And Jesus says, when you do that, the world will know that you are my disciples. And the gospel message will not just be preached, but it'll be lived out in every aspect of this church. So let's be a church that expects unexpected things. Our God can do the unexpected. So let's not limit God. Let's, continue to press on, follow the lead of the Holy Spirit, share the gospel faithfully so that unexpected people can come and know Jesus and we would build a culture where we have this beauty where there is diversity and unity for the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray.